Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, my fellow Liberty lovers. I just got a hair in my mouth, of course. <laughs> of course, with having uh, three dogs around, that's not entirely surprising. It just stinks that it happened right as I opened my mouth to start talking. <laughs> so, um, welcome wherever and whenever you guys are tuning in from. That totally interrupted my intro. <laughs> Anyways, I am Amber S. bringing you here on the Living with Freedom show, bringing you a vision of what living a life of freedom can look like physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and in every aspect of life. This show is brought to you by Living with Freedom Ministries, an unincorporated private church ministry where I, the um, director, help. I I love to do we're all tied up today, um, tongue-tied. So, through my ministry, I love to help people discover and fulfill their God-given purpose, specifically through the creation of their own private ministry or church um, and private membership association. That, that is one of, one of my biggest God-given purposes here on earth, and I am so grateful to be able to you know, continue to pursue that. And I apologize. I right off the bat, I'm going to apologize for last week having to cancel the show. I was sick and honestly, I did not want to torture you guys with the sounds of my symptoms. You know what being sick sounds like. It's not fun. <laughs> so I I spared you the torture of having to hear me. I do still have a little bit of a residual cough, so I am um, sucking on a cough drop to make sure that we're not interrupting the show today with too much of that nonsense. But I am back and ready to hit you with a jam-packed show today, and I'm going to mute those because I forgot to before. Whew, that's what I get for taking a week off, all scattered and all over the place. So we are... Turning the ship around and getting back on track. (laughs) With that being said, I want to touch on the fact that today's national day is National Voter Registration Day. I looked at the other holidays today and meh, compared to the purpose of today's show, this is a really, really good one. And I want to remind everyone, as we're talking about Voter Registration Day, as we're confirming our Uh, voting information, make sure that you remember that this voter registration day is not about politics. It's not about picking sides. It's about exercising your right to vote. If you are 18 or older, you are a U.S. citizen, and you are a current resident of your state, um, you know, you want to confirm those details and make sure that you are registered to vote on election day. 
Something else that I want to remind the listeners of, and we'll touch on this a little bit later too, because this is a really relevant key point for our for our theme this month. And if you did not tune into the last show two weeks ago, on September 5th, because it was the first day of the First Continental Congress back in 1774, I believe, without looking at my notes, <laughs> I have sort of unofficially determined that this month and most of next month are going to be dedicated to the discussion of the First Continental Congress and doing a little review of what they were doing each week. Um you know, throughout this period in time. Uh, to spare everyone, I will not do an hour and a half for, you know, each week for the next two months or, you know, for these two months exclusively on that, mostly because I don't have the capacity to talk that much about it myself. And if I don't, I don't expect anybody else to. That is a lot of content about one specific event. Um, But what I do want to remind everyone of with this is that we are thankfully not a democracy. And if you are under the understanding that the United States of America is a democracy, I'm sorry to break it to you. It's one of those sorry, not sorry kind of things. We are not a democracy, but when you understand why, I think you're going to be really grateful, too. A democracy is exclusively majority rule. Now, I want you to think back to your school days, especially if you went to a public or a private school, not those who were homeschooled. That might, <laughs> that might be a little different, but I want you to think back to school days. Um. How many times during recess or gym class or um, extracurriculars was there a majority vote on what to do or what not to do? And were you ever part of the minority during those votes? Another example is even just during recess. Did you ever feel singled out? by a group of kids that were bullies. If you have experienced either of those two things in your life, you will understand why the concept of majority rule should never, ever be what we strive for. And part of the reason is that being human means being um, not perfect. That also means that we are subject to being manipulated, being swayed by by emotion, by good storytellers, by really good speakers. We can be swayed and have our opinion changed. We can be manipulated into believing something that is not true or believing that a certain action or non-action is the way to go because of a really good storyteller. Um, you know, charisma goes a long ways. But we have to remember when where there's a virtue, too much of a good thing can become bad and it can become a vice. So if you have ever been on the minority side of bullying or if you have ever been on the minor, minority side of a class vote, 
you'll understand that it sucks to be in the minority and not have your voice heard. And that is exactly what our founders and framers realized when they were meeting in the First Continental Congress when they were talking about representation of the states. States like Rhode Island, New Jersey, they, especially at the time, were very, very tiny in comparison to uh, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, even um, population-wise. I'm thinking Georgia, Virginia, some of these other states that both size-wise, physically, as well as population-wise, they were much larger. And if they went and became a democracy, states like Rhode Island and New Jersey would never, ever, ever have a voice. So what would be the point of their existence if they never got a voice? So we are instead a constitutional republic. And what the founders and framers at that First Continental Congress did was something truly amazing. And that's why I do advocate so much for um, registering to vote and and exercising your right to vote. Um, Because what they did was they gave each state during that First Continental Congress one vote, regardless of their size, and especially because they couldn't prove their actual population anyways sitting there in the Congress, Um, especially the slave states. At the time, yes, slavery was still legal, and many of the delegates were vehemently opposed to slavery. Um, We can get into that a different day. But why is that so important here with voting? Because voting for for the people originally was more so focused on local elections because that's what is really relevant to our everyday life. Who the village president is or who the mayor of your city is, who is on your county board, your school board. You know, who is the governor of your state even? This is the stuff that actually pertains to your everyday life. Um, The sheriff, too. You want a constitutional sheriff. And sadly, because most of our citizens don't know these these things I'm going to be dropping on you today, including what we've already talked about, they are fed this lie that the president is the most important um, election that we can participate in, when really it's the bottom of the food chain, bottom of the totem pole. It is not the most important, and we need to get out of that mindset. We are not under the rule and the thumb of the federal government. Each state is their own sovereign nation state. That's how it was designed. So we need to get back to focusing on local first. So that's why I feel uh, uh, National Voter Registration Day is important. Elections are coming up in November, if I remember right. Maybe not. I don't remember. Yeah. (sighs) My brain is all scattered. I'm trying to even remember what days my days are. (laughs) Anyways, I digress. We're we're just going to go on our notes and not side tangent too much because I think that's not going to turn out very well today. Moving on from the national holiday today, 
is the word of the day. And this one is a big one today, you guys. And here's why. As we start looking at some of these terms, you're going to realize how important it is to understand the meaning of our words. I know I say that every week. This week, I have, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six terms that all relate to each other. And normally in in just um, writing, they all appear to be synonyms. But when you actually start to dig into the definitions, that kind of couldn't be farther from the truth. So our first word of the day is abode. Let me get scroll down to the right spot on the page or up. Oh my goodness, where are we? There we are. <laughs> I'm looking at a PDF that sometimes it gets a little wonky. All right. The definition of abode is one's home, habitation, place of dwelling or residence, ordinarily means domicile, living place Im- impermanent in character. And then the next ones I'm going to read in between each one, there is case law that's quoted, but I'm not going to, you know, cite it. The place where a person dwells, residence of legal voter, fixed place of residence for the time being. For service of process, one's fixed place of residence for the time being, his usual place of abode. So those are a couple different definitions of this word. Um, It also says see domicile and see resonance. Um, So we will also be doing that. Um, Those are two of the other terms that we're going to be looking at today. Um, The next of which we will be looking at is domicile. And let me type in the PDF page number here. If you are just tuning in for the first time and you're curious where I'm getting these definitions, I am looking at the 1990 Black's Law Dictionary. And... This is really important to me because I feel like if we don't know what the words we use mean, how can we really effectively communicate? And how can we truly know our history, know our founding and framing if we don't know what the words mean? And especially when we look at the words in context of how they were used at the time. Our founding and framing started over 200 years ago, you guys. And we know that there are words today that have been completely flipped and meaning something totally different now. Um, A word that used to just mean happy now means, um, you know, an intimate relationship status or, or interest. And it's just bonkers how we manipulate language so this is a way that we can get a foundation as well as understanding what the law recognizes as their known definition now as a living man and woman we each get to determine the meaning of the words that we use if we claim that authority and when we're speaking to others or reading or listening to others It is good to know and understand that, yes, they get to determine the meaning of the words they use, 
And if they're using, you know, legal definitions or lawful definitions, Code of Black's Law Dictionary. It will help you understand what they're using and what it means. Anyway, so the next term we're looking at is domicile. This one is longer, so I am going to only read part of it because it is whew, um, an entire column and a half long. <laughs> so I'm only going to introduce you to this definition to start to show you some of the differences between these terms. So domicile is a person's legal home, that place where a man has his true, fixed, and permanent home and principal establishment, and to which, whenever he is absent, he has the intention of returning. Um, in between these next ones, there's also case law, which I will not be citing. Generally, physical presence within a state and the intention to make it one's home are the requisites of establishing a domicile therein. The permanent residence of a person or place to which he intends to return, even though he may actually reside elsewhere, because a person may have more than one residence but only one domicile. The legal domicile of a person is important since it, rather than the actual residence, often controls the jurisdiction of the taxing authorities and determines where a person may exercise the privilege of voting and other legal rights and privileges. It does go on, like I said, for another column plus a whole bunch. Um, but as you can see, these words already are starting to show their differences in meaning. So what you consider your domicile versus where you reside, your residence, may be different things. They may not be, but they may also be different. All right, so we're going to move on to the next word, home. I wanted to see what that one meant. So we're going to go to page 46, 746 in the PDF. And the definition of the word home, uh, this one is only a couple sentences long, so we're going to do the whole thing. One's own dwelling place, the house in which one lives especially the house in which one lives with his family, the habitual abode of one's family, a dwelling house. That place in which one, in fact, resides with the intention of residence or in which he has so resided with and with regard to which he retains residence or to which he intends to return, a place where a person dwells and which is the center of his domestic, social, and civil life. As relating to deductions of expenses for carrying on a trade or business while living away from home, home in quotations, home within the IRC, uh, the Internal Revenue Code, is defined as taxpayer's principal place of business. So that's really interesting to note that the word home is used in the um, Internal Revenue Code and is defined as a taxpayer's principal place of business. Now, we could get into taxes. That's a whole other conversation um, regarding who is actually defined as a taxpayer. But for those who have been told or taught that each of us as individuals are taxpayers, 
our principal place of business is not our home for the most part. Yes, some of us are entrepreneurs. Some of us do work from home. But the home is not primarily a principal place of business. The home is a dwelling. Ooh, you know what? I did not look up the definition of the word dwelling. I'm not going to do it today. That's your homework. <laughs> um, although I do want to write that down so I don't forget to add that um, some other time uh, to to the end as I'm as I'm sharing these definitions and terms. All right. The next one we're going to look at is house, which is on page. Let's see. 752 in Black's Law Dictionary. 752. This one also has a lot of subcategories um, of different types of house, etc. We're just going to read the main part of the definition. It is structure that serves as living quarters for one or more persons or families. See also curtilage, domicile, home, residence. Is also one I did not look up for today, so that too should be your homework. A legislative assembly, or where the bicameral system obtains one of the two branches of the of the legislature, as the House of Lords or the House of Representatives, also a quorum of the legislative body. All right, so there's a little bit more to the core definition of that, but you get the point. All right, the last one, or actually two, we're going to look up around the same page, it's on 1321 in the PDF version of Black Thought Dictionary, and those are reside and residence. Reside means to live, dwell, abide, sojourn, stay, remain, lodge, to settle oneself or a thing in a place to be stationed, to remain or stay, to dwell permanently or continuously, to have a settled abode for a time, to have one's residence or domicile, specifically to be in residence, to have an abiding place, to be present as an element, to inhere as a quality, to be vested as a right. A foreign business corporation for venue purposes resides in a county where its registered office and registered agent is located. That is also quite interesting in terms of what the word reside means or can mean. Residence means place where one actually lives or has his home, a person's dwelling place or place of habitation. An abode, house where one's home is, a dwelling house. Personal presence at some place of abode with no present intention of definite and early removal and with purpose to remain for undetermined period, not infrequently, but not necessarily combined with design, designed to stay permanently. All right, so residence also goes on for the entire rest of the uh, column. So we're just going to leave it at that. So you guys, the reason I am bringing up all of these seemingly synonyms for where one rests their head at night is especially as you look at the definition of the word home and how that's actually part of an IRS definition, you may want to be very cautious and conscious, con- uh, cautious and conscious. Words are tongue twisting today. 
you want to be very careful about the words that you're using and the perceived meaning behind them. Because what you might mean when you say the word home, for instance, if you use that word with someone from the IRS, for instance, it may mean something totally different and they may take your words out of context of how you mean them and to use it how they mean it. All right, so we're going to move on because I know that was that was a lot more intense um, than it potentially needed to be, but I felt it was really important to get through. The next thing I want to do is I want to, um, for the next couple minutes, we're going to do a late commercial break today. I want to first really introduce who some of the... Um, delegates for the first continental congress were and some of their you know some of their employment it was pretty split when you look at the original people who were men who were in the con- the first continental congress it was very mixed in terms of their educational levels i mean some were largely uneducated farmers or merchants, business owners, um, you know, manual laborers, and some went to Yale and studied law and practiced law. Um, Some were both. Some were farmers and practiced law. The main thing that I noticed, though, looking through some of the backgrounds of these delegates is virtually every single one of them did more than one thing, and they also diversified their background. They didn't just study reading, writing, and arithmetic, or reading, writing, and math in English. Many of them also spoke another language, whether it was Latin. Um, I would assume, given the time period, Latin was the most common, but French was right up there. And to realize what these men went through, not only for their education, not only for their careers and their employment, also realizing what they needed to know to survive and thrive in the new world, it is one of the most inspiring things that I could ever study. Because when I realized what they went through with the resources that they had at the time, I am humbled because I really have no excuse not to survive and thrive in the world today. Now, granted, with technology, with society today, yes, we have our own set of unique challenges that they did not have to face at the time. And we also don't have to deal with some of the things that they did have to deal with. We have running water. We have, um, you know, sewer system. So we have a lot better access to sanitary living environments that keep us healthy. That's just one example, obviously. But it's one that is obviously near and dear to my heart if you have listened to any of the shows previously. So I hope as we start to discuss some of these men, you also feel a sense of humility, but in a really empowering kind of way, like, wow, 
These guys were sick. They were uneducated or undereducated. They were farmers and they also were business owners and so many things. And they still found time because they knew the importance. They still found time to participate in in civics, in their society of the day, in government. They still found the importance and the significance of dedicating their time to that. All right. I think I'm back up to the top of the list here. Oh, no, we're just on New York. Here we go. We're scrolling. Um, a lot of this I am taking from one of the books that I had referenced two weeks ago, The Story of the First Continental Congress. Um so please, absolutely do not take my word for it in terms of what these men did, um, especially realizing this is one interpretation. It's also really difficult to cram into one book the entire scope of what these men did in their lives. This is just a small summary of a few highlights. So, for instance, um, Silas Dean from Connecticut, he he was one that did go to Yale. Um, he taught school, he practiced law, and he was a uh, he had a successful business career. Those are three very different things: teaching school, um, practicing law, and having a business. How in the world did this man have time to do those three things, let alone participate? Um, and go from Connecticut to Pennsylvania to Philadelphia to participate in the First Continental Congress. Like how, right? Delegation and time management, I got to say, are probably pretty important for these people. Um, Roger Sherman, which some of you may actually have heard of before. He was a little bit more prominent, um, not George, George Washington level prominent, but compared to some of these others, rather prominent. And he was a shoemaker, a surveyor, and an attorney. How different could those things be? So these men were jacks of all trades. And that also led to them an ability to think outside of one, you know, frame of mind. Um, there's farmers, there's more farmers. Um, more lawyers, Sam, Samuel Adams, he was a brewer, he was a tax collector, and he was a member of the Massachusetts General Court. I mean, these, these people did amazing things, and many things. Um, there's more lawyers, interesting things. So Thomas Cushing, he went to Harvard, and he practiced law. He was also very faith-based, and he proposed that each congressional session began with a prayer, and that's something that has continued to this day. So thank you, Thomas Cushing, for still, you know, for instilling prayer as something important. Um, Robert Thomas or Robert Treats Payne. We, most of us are familiar with Robert Payne's name. Um, he also went to Harvard. He was a chaplain during the French and Indian War. He practiced law and served in the Massachusetts House. 
uh, more lawyers, more law, more law. So we're a lot of farmers and a lot of lawyers, um, for better or worse. Here's the thing. A lot of these people were also, even though they were considered uneducated, they still knew how to read. They still knew their history. Some of them were historians, too. Um, there's soldiers. There's someone who was a lawyer and a farmer, John Dickinson, um, who also had beautiful gardens. Um, so that's just a small preview of what some of the men did. What we're going to do is we are going to cut to commercial. And when we come back, we are going to transition a little bit to discussing some more about our founding and framing and some other truths that we should know, but we don't necessarily know. So we will be right back. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever and whenever you're tuning in from, my fellow Liberty Lovers. This is Amber S. from Living with Freedom Ministries, reminding you to tune in on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central, noon Pacific Time, for the Living with Freedom show, where we'll embrace what living with freedom can look like physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and in everyday life. That's 2 p.m. Central, noon Pacific, here on Freedomizer Radio. Please check out the Barefoot is Legal radio show right here on Saturdays, 1.30 p.m. to 3 p.m. Eastern Time, that is 10.30 a.m. to noon Pacific Time, as we show you all about your barefoot rights and living a barefoot lifestyle. And for more information about the 501c3 nonprofit Barefoot is Legal, please check out barefootislegal.org. Hey everyone, come check out the Proof Negative radio show here on freedomizerradio.com. Monday through Thursday, 9 p.m. to midnight Eastern, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. on the Pacific Coast as we fight the New World Order and rock the health freedom world together. All right, and welcome back. The next thing I want to do, um, and full disclosure, the quotes that I am referencing were pulled together. Um, they were not created by, they were pulled together by Chris Ann Hall. I definitely look up to her as, um, you know, a mentor. I've never met her. I would love to someday, but um, she is a true constitutional woman, and she's very admirable, as well as her husband, JC. Anyways, I believe it was yesterday she put together these four things to know about the Constitution. And so I very briefly summarized them in my own words, as well as pulled out the quotes that she referenced. Um, the first thing I want to bring to awareness is the fact that the Constitution of the United States of America is the standard, not Supreme Court and precedent, not a majority vote through the Congress, and not the supposed need or will of the people. The Constitution is the standard. And the reason is, is it's not fallible to people's emotions, people's opinions. It's truly based on, you know, the our birthright, our God-given nat, um, natural rights. And that should be the main focus. So James Wilson from Pennsylvania in ratifying the, um, in ratifying convention 1787 
said, the power of the Constitution predominates. Anything, therefore, that shall be enacted by Congress contrary thereto will not have the force of law. You guys have probably heard me, especially if you're part of my PMA community. You absolutely have heard me mention Marbury versus Madison. And I might not be quoting it exactly word for word, but it's darn close. Marbury versus Madison says that any law repugnant to, or in opposition to, repugnant to the Constitution is void. James Wilson in 1787, which is even earlier, said the same exact thing. Any law must be in compliance or in alignment with the Constitution. Otherwise, it is unconstitutional. So know what the Constitution of the United States of America says. Know what your state constitution says. And make sure that every law is in accordance with it. And make sure that every committee, every government organization and entity and department is in alignment with that. Because I will tell you, a lot of things that are happening today are not in congruence with the Constitution. There are powers that have been delegated um, and usurped at those federal levels that were never theirs to do those things with. We need to know it so we can take it back. The next point um, that she made is that the Constitution is a compact between the states. Um, I'm going to read this, and then I'm also going to reference this book that I've been looking at and why I'm very disappointed in the book. So anyways, back to the quote, though. The quote is by James Madison in the 1800 Report on the Virginia Resolutions. He says, consequently, that the ultimate right of the states to judge whether the compact has been dangerously violated must extend to violations by one delegated authority as well as by another, by the judiciary as well as by the executive or the legislature. So, this is kind of that checks and balances. And what it's saying is that uh, the Constitution is this combination of the states having authority, the federal government did not exist before the Constitution existed. And compared to this and knowing that the the federal government did not exist before the Constitution was written, I am very upset that this book, Legal Guidelines for Unlicensed Practitioners, could get it so wrong. Like, I literally took notes, and I, like, friggin' crossed it off. I was so angry about it. Um, I, my bookmark uh, slipped out, so I had to flip back to the page. All right, on page four of Legal Guidelines for Unlicensed Practitioners, under um, Roman numeral three in the Hierarchy of Laws section, it says, Constitutional law consists of the contracts between the sovereign people of America and their federal, state, and local governments. That is wrong. Now, I know they're trying to um, be inclusive of all constitutions, the state and the U.S. constitutions, but you cannot do that here. 
And the reason is, is that the federal government does not rule over the state. The federal government does not rule over the people. This is just so incredibly infuriating how wrong that they are getting this. Um, They're also talking about the fact that, um, oh, where did it go? (laughs) On the next page, on page six, it says the Constitution is the contract established between the sovereign people and their creations, the state and federal government. There is no contract with the federal government, you guys. I you? If it weren't for the fact that this book supposedly has a lot of really good sound advice for um, especially medical and health uh, practitioners, I would have burned and thrown away this book already just based on these wrong premises. The Constitution of the United States is not a contract between anybody or any entity and the federal government. The federal government was created through the establishment of the Constitution, through the compact between the states, which really means through the delegated, um, through the delegates by we the people at the state level to create the federal government. How, how people can still get this stuff this wrong is beyond me. So I'm definitely reading this book with a grain of salt at this point. Um, I've heard that it is a book that's recommended, especially for people in PMAs, um, in the private domain, because it's how they can protect themselves. But I'm going to tell you, if this book continues to be like this, I will denounce it. Absolutely. It's also trying to say that um, it's trying to, um, how should I word it? It's trying to convey the fact that precedents and statutes and regulations are lawful um, should be upheld um, something to that extent and I I firmly disagree because of Marbury versus Madison as well as this quote by James Wilson we do not go along to get along you guys that is not how we gained our freedom and our liberties And it is not how we gained our independence from Great Britain. Going along to get along is how we get in trouble. It's how we've gotten to the place in the world that we are today. So I urge you, no more going along to get along. No more do we keep silent when we hear false information being shared, things being taught improperly. No more do we stay silent. Because silence and acquiescence equals agreement. 
according to the law, silence means you agree. If you do not agree, you must speak up or forever hold your peace. I am done being silent and being silenced. And I hope you guys are too. All right, moving on. Um, Something else that Chris Ann Hall points out, and I firmly agree. The Constitution is not open for interpretation. It is not a living, breathing document. And it had and continues to have a specific intended meaning that is not open to changing interpretation based on the times. You must get back to the original intent in the original context to know what they were trying to do. Um, Alexander Hamilton in Federalist 78 and 1788 said, there is no position which depends on clearer principles than that every act of a delegated authority contrary to the tenor of the commission under which it is exercised is void. I'm going to read that again. There is no position which depends on clear principles than that or or we would say than the fact that every act of a delegated authority that is contrary, I'm going to modernize how we say it now, that is contrary to the tenor or, or the opinion maybe of the commission under which it is exercised is void. Ah. <sighs> It's not open for interpretation, you guys. (laughs) Earlier, you heard me very adamantly express that we are not a democracy. And by extension, our government and our laws are not dictated by majority rule. And there's a very good reason. James Madison in 1792 said to the House of Representatives, And this one's a little bit difficult to read, so I might read it twice. We'll see how the first reading goes. He said, I, sir, have always conceived. I believe those who propose the Constitution conceived. It is still more fully known and more material to observe that those who ratify the Constitution conceived that this is not an indefinite government, but a limited government tied down to specific powers. In, in the 1770s, the first con, uh, Continental Congress knew how important this was, which is also why when they were talking about and discussing representation, they finally agreed that representation would mean one vote per colony or one vote per state. so that the smaller states had a voice. We cannot be majority rule because majority rule is mob rule. And if you stand for minorities, whether it's whether it's someone with just a minority opinion or if you stand with minorities in terms of their physical features, You cannot be for majority rule and for minorities at the same time. It is not possible. So we also cannot have an indefinite government. 
our government was limited for a reason because we knew our founders and framers knew that because of human nature, because of greed, because of jealousy, because of being butthurt, <laughs> for lack of a better word, people can make bad choices. So we needed to limit the amount of control and power that the government had so that if they were making decisions from a bad place, from a place of greed anger or jealousy or whatever that there would be checks and balances to make sure that it was just and right Chris Ann Hall also touches on the dangers of not teaching these truths and that our founders and framers warned us of these dangers she quotes Samuel Adams in 1775 speaking to James Warren Sam Adams said No people will tamely surrender their liberties, nor can any be easily subdued when knowledge is diffused and virtue preserved. Diffused here means like spread out, shared, not diffused as in diluted or watered down. So when knowledge is diffused or dispersed and virtue is preserved or saved. On the contrary, when people are universally ignorant and debauched in their manners, or, you know, immoral, they will sink under their own weight without the aid of foreign invaders. Samuel Adams here is saying, if we don't know these truths, if we are ignorant to these truths and acting immorally, we won't need the help of foreign invaders to sink us. We will sink ourselves. Frederick Douglass, and I I fully admire this man, um, especially for those who want to speak for minorities. He is definitely one to be digging into. Frederick Douglass, 1852, said, In that instrument I hold, there is neither warrant, license, nor sanction of hateful things, but interpreted as it ought to be interpreted, the Constitution is a glorious liberty document. Read its preamble. Consider its purpose. That is passion, if I ever saw passion. (laughs) And because Frederick Douglass urged people who read that quote and listened to him speak those words to read the preamble of the Constitution of the United States, I'm going to share it here today. The preamble says, we the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity, do ordain and establish this Constitution for the United States of America. I'm going to break that down because some of these terms we don't really use today. So a more perfect union is capitalized here, but union is a, is a collective group. The union is the group of the nation states. Establish justice. Ensure domestic tranquility. Tranquility is mostly another word for peace. Provide for the common defense. It means that they will work on our collective behalf for our defense so that 
every single state does not have to speak to, for instance, another state or to another country for our defense. They can collectively agree that, yep, we need defense, and then on our behalf, seek support. Promote the general welfare. This is so taken out of context in the world today. General welfare really at its core means the protection of our rights and liberties. The protection of our life and lib- life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. Not that it's going to give us those things, but the protection of our ability and desire to seek it for ourselves. That is the general welfare. Is the protection for us to do what we wish as long as it's not impeding on another person's rights and liberties. Not to promise that it's going to give us those things. And secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves and our posterity. Posterity is just another word for the next generations to come. For our kids and our grandkids and our great grandkids. Do ordain. I wonder if people realize that ordain is, you know, comes from religion, comes from spirituality. They they literally were were blessing this document as being divinely inspired. I mean, we could go into Black's Law Dictionary and pull up the official definition. And if you want, you can do that for your homework this week too. Um, but wow, when you break down the preamble, it doesn't just sound pretty. It's powerful. All right. We are going to cut to another commercial break. And then I am going to do Third Tuesday PMA for our third and final session. And what I'm going to do with this is tie it all back together. Everything that we covered today. And I'm going to start to tie it in. We're also going to tie in a little bit about our medical freedoms and how PMAs and PMA land can be supportive for that too. So we will be right back. We talk a lot about the kingdom here and we talk a lot about what most churches are afraid to talk about or don't even know to talk about which is what the first century church was really doing. But just talking about it is not enough. We encourage everybody to join us uh, in their local neighborhoods, in their local communities, to find out more about what they can do to seek the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Gather with others who are already starting this road or starting to turn around and do things differently. Join us on thelivingnetwork.org or at hisholychurch.org, go to the network links, or go to preparingyou.com, join the network there. It's all the same, and we'll try to hook you up with people in your local area. They will not be perfect. They don't walk on water. They are not necessarily saints, but they are talking about seeking the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And join us on Facebook, facebook.com, His Holy Church, all one word. Join us there. We'll give you updates so you can start doing some studying and thinking about these things and start looking into these things for yourselves. But it's just not enough. 
to sit and listen or to talk about or to say. You must become a doer of the Word. Hello, Freedomizers. I am Broccoli Man. When I am not fighting crime, I listen to the Proof Negative radio show. I am the Wild Ripper. Not only do I forbid you to listen to Freedomizer radio and the Proof Negative radio show, I am going to demand you wear a mask and get your naked body scan. We need to protect the One World Government. You getting the real information hurts a crime syndicate. Do not listen to Proof Negative. You must now disrobe this instant so I can check your person for a constitutional cash money. Anyway, listen to Proof Negative on Freedomizer Radio. Weeknights 9 p.m. to midnight Eastern. 6 to 9 p.m. Pacific Time. Freedomizerradio.com Looking for something different? Looking for something fun? Join Dan every Monday on the Freedomizer Network, 9 to 10.30 Pacific, noon to 1.30 Eastern, for Common Sense with the educated redneck, Dan Ellison. The show about everything and nothing at all. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever and whenever you're tuning in from, my fellow Liberty lovers. This is Amber S. from Living with Freedom Ministries, reminding you to tune in on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central, noon Pacific time, for the Living with Freedom show, where we'll embrace what living with freedom can look like physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and in everyday life. That's 2 p.m. Central, noon Pacific, here on Freedomizer Radio. All right, welcome back, everybody. How was your break? We are in our final episode already. I feel like we have gone through an incredible amount of content today. And I had realized I still have not put together a cleaner reference link to that How to Win a Court Without a Lawyer course. And the reason I believe that this is one of the most important courses that you will take in your adult life is that we need to know not only what our rights are, but how to assert and defend them. And Dr. Graves has done that because he saw in his years as an attorney, as a lawyer, how badly it was needed, how much we don't know about the, um, the court system. And the things that he's teaching don't require going to law school for. This system was really not set up to be that complex and complicated. Once you know a few key components, you really have taken your power back. So I strongly, strongly recommend the How to Win in Court Without a Lawyer course. You can go to the following link, howtowinincourt.com question mark refer code equals SH0024 SH0024 
And that is my referral link to get you the How to Win a Court with Lawyer course. And it's like 280 bucks for a full year access, you guys. And it's not something that you can really just cram in a weekend. It is a true course. <clears throat> and the content is truly amazing. <coughs> Excuse me, I apologize for... A loud coughing. I'm going to mute myself for a second and get a cough drop. There we go. <laughs> and let's see. So that's the How to Win in Court Without a Lawyer course. I also wanted to share yesterday one of the verses I read really, really hit home to me, um, especially in context of our conversation today and with what's going on in the world. I don't want you to take this out of context, though, so I will discuss a little bit after. The verses are Matthew 21, 12, and 13. Jesus went into the temple and threw out all those buying and selling. He overturned the tables of money changers and the chairs of those selling doves. He said to them, It is written, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. The important part for me is, one, yes, that Jesus did stand up. He flipped tables. He he protected that which was sacred, or is sacred, I shouldn't say was, is sacred. The other thing, though, is he was very specific and calculated, in my opinion, in his actions. And he explained very specifically why he was flipping tables and chairs. And kicking people out of the temple. When something is designated for a certain purpose, we need to make sure that it continues to be for that specific purpose. I am not advocating we go guns blazing anywhere. (laughs) I'm not advocating for rioting. And Chrisanne Hall, she is very eloquent in her distinction between hecklers, rioters, and peaceful protesters. If you're not familiar with the differences between those two, those three terms, definitely go back and listen to the archived episodes of the Chrisanne Hall show. Uh, just for general content, but specifically for this, constantly she's talking about protesters when... Um, and explaining that they were really hecklers or rioters. Um, and how we need to use these words correctly and not sugarcoat or try to fluff up or minimize, you know, minimize these terms. Protest is a Not those things is not a protest. All right, so our final segment, I said we were going to talk about PMAs. So what I'm going to do is kind of wrap this up, and we're also going to talk more into the concept of what we're discussing today in regard to how it applies to PMAs. That quote by James Wilson, and I'll go back and read it. He said, the power of the Constitution predominates 
Anything, therefore, that shall be enacted by Congress contrary to will not have the force of law. And what I'm going to try to do here super quick is also pull up Marbury versus Madison. Because as we are looking at our constitutionally protected rights, not constitutionally granted rights, the Constitution does not give us our rights. It protects our natural God-given rights, the rights that we were inherently born with. And the reason that, too, is so significant is the government from local to federal, has and continues to attempt to make rights into privileges, and that is absolutely not how it is. And you must stand up against it. You must be able to recognize when they are trying to stomp on your rights or when they're trying to say that your right is really a privilege. In our Declaration of Independence, It says life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. It does not say life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness when you acquire a proper license. (laughs) It does not say life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness once you establish an incorporated uh, entity or start a corporation or get certified. Or get other special permissions from the government. The founding fathers knew what this would do if we did not have those protections in place. And it's exactly what we're facing today. Overregulation and just a blatant, you know, overreach for control. Now, I will tell you, I am not, um, oh, what, how do I word my disclaimer? I'm not anti-government, okay? I am not anti-government. What I am against is government intrusion. What I am against is them taking our rights and trying to make them privileges. What I am against is them twisting truth and facts and history to fit their needs and their agenda. What I am for is the protection of our rights, our natural God-given rights and liberties that are guaranteed by the Constitution of the United States of America and guaranteed by our state constitution. What I am for is protecting our private domain jurisdiction, and making sure that the the public does not encroach into that private domain. Now, I did pull up Marbury versus Madison. John Marshall, who was the fourth chief justice of the U.S. Supreme Court in the case Marbury versus Madison in 1802. So let's see, 18. compared to 1787. I'm not a math wizard, but that's about 15 years after James Wilson and the ratifying convention. John Marshall in Marbury versus Madison said, essential to all written constitutions, that a law repugnant to the constitution is void and that courts as well as other departments 
are bound by that instrument. The instrument they're referring to is the Constitution. So the courts and the departments of the government, which includes all of our agencies, three and four letter agencies, are bound by the Constitution. That is the utmost importance, you guys. But we must hold them to it. They will not hold themselves to it. They absolutely will not. They will try to twist and manipulate and say that we are subject to their jurisdiction, which is why the First Amendment is the First Amendment. It's not the Fourth. It's not the Tenth. It is the First for a reason. Um, First Amendment. I'm going to pull it up quick and list out those rights protected in the First Amendment. What it what the First Amendment does is it prohibits or bans any law that could limit freedom in terms of religion, expression, peaceful peaceful assembly, and the right of redress or the right of the citizens to petition the government for redress. These let's see, one, two, three I thought there were five. Let me go to the original text. Because that's always best, going back to the original text. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, the right of the people to peacefully assemble, and to petition the government for redress of grievances. Yes, there are five. Our First Amendment is first for a reason, and we must remember that. So we have the free exercise of religion. We have the freedom of speech. We have the freedom of which is not the press secretary at the White House. We have the freedom to publish and share what we want. We have the right to peacefully assemble, which is why associations, private membership associations are so perfect for all of this because it's it fits under all of this. And the and to petition the government to redress those grievances. So we get to tell them when they're overstepping, basically. All right, I'm going to close that and get back to my PowerPoint. Now, medical freedom is very, very near and dear to my heart. Most of you know that things have started to ramp back up this fall, as, mo- as many of us expected. This is why it is so vital to know your rights. Because a lot of parents don't realize, far too many actually don't realize, that you can opt out of the pokes for school for your kids. Yes, some states it is harder to uphold and defend than others because the states are acting constitutionally and taking away your rights. And the sad part is, because we don't know how to assert and defend our rights, they've gotten away with it. That's another reason is how to win a court without a lawyer course is vital for every citizen to be able to defend your rights and stop this stripping away. 
you also have the right to not sign something if you don't agree with it, especially when it comes from the schools. They're actually obligated in terms of the pokes to provide informed consent. It is actually their obligation to inform you that you do have the ability to opt out. If, especially in terms of the agenda content in our curriculums today, curricula today, you also have a right to cross off an initial anything in the parental agreement for sending your, your kids up for school. There are a lot of things about agendas right now that are getting into our school curriculum. Things that if parents truly knew and understood, they would be mortified to know that their kid was being exposed to these things. There is something, I say that with a slight caveat. The slight caveat is this. Anything that is public and funded by the taxpayers means that all taxpayers have a right to use or access. So it means that your libraries, if they receive public funding, do not really have a right to turn away a speaker or a group trying to reserve space because of their content. If you don't like the story hours that are happening at your local library, do not take your kids. We vote with our dollars and our presence. And then when you see that kind of stuff happening at your local library, Make sure that you too are planning events that are that are in alignment with your core values and beliefs at that same library because you have just as equal access to that library as they do because if you're a taxpayer, you have that right. But what we do not have a right to do in the public is to try to squash the speech or the free um, expression of their rights of another. And it's a hard pill to swallow because no, we want to protect our kids. We do not want them exposed to, to certain content um, ever, some of it, but at least not until they're adults for some of it. But that's where parenting comes in. It will always be our job as parents to teach right from wrong. We can be kind and loving to people as a person and also recognize that the things they're doing may not be wholesome, may not be righteous. And that's where we have a learning opportunity to have with our kids, where we can express that Jesus was friend of sinners, not to condone, not to allow the sin but to show love and mercy so that they may be opened up enough to receive healing and to change their ways. But we can only do that through love. 
And that's a message that we can and absolutely should be teaching our kids. We should not be putting them in this protection, only being exposed and to, um, you know, Christian school and um, Christian university. And I'm not saying those things are inherently bad. No, they're not. But we also need to equip our children to be out in the world and what it looks like to be strong in our faith and our convictions to be able to withstand the temptations. And they will not learn that unless they're exposed to it and have good, loving guidance on how to handle it. Whew, that was a super crazy side tangent that we just went on. That That's how we tie in to the education to the medical freedom. I just realized my laptop's acting funny because it wasn't plugged in all the way. <clears throat> this is how we protect our rights and liberties, you guys. We learn what these things say. We study Black Thought Dictionary. We study the How to Win a Court Without a Lawyer course. <clears throat> we recognize what they say is true and be able to discern facts from opinion. It's their opinion. And when we're acting in the public domain, we must recognize that the public domain jurisdiction is very different from the private domain. When you're acting in the private domain, privately contracting member to member, and you're doing it out of your own volition. You're doing it voluntarily. You have the right and the freedom to do these things without licenses, without this government permission slip. And that is what the beauty of PMAs are or is. That's the beauty of PMAs. And especially when you're convicted because of your faith to follow your God-given purpose, that conviction, that means that you have your personal private ministry. You're serving others according to your purpose. Whether you're healing the sick or you're being a good Samaritan to someone passing by, you're serving people according to the gifts that God gave you. And that is the biggest blessing. Because the church is not the building. The church is the body. We are the body. We are the people. And we are fulfilling that purpose when we stay in alignment with our God-given purpose. The only way we can do that, though, is we stay in the private domain. We stop asking the government for permission. We stop asking the government for help. When they were talking about the general welfare, they were not talking about the welfare program. They were talking about the general protection of our rights and liberties, our God-given rights and liberties. And so we need to step up in power and responsibility and take it back. We need to take back our responsibility of taking care of things. Learn how to do fundraising. Learn how to do social media marketing. 
There are a lot of amazing resources out there that are not spammy, that are not salesy, that let you stay true to who you are, full of integrity, and still be able to reach the people that God intended for you to reach and to serve the people in the way that God meant for you to serve them. So if something like a PMA is what you're looking for to protect your God-given purpose, whether it's teaching, whether it's healing, whether it's, you know, um, being a good steward of the plants and animals of this earth with sustainability and, and sharing, sharing, you know, the first fruits kind of thing, all of those things and more can be protected in the private domain with private membership associations and private ministries and churches. And it doesn't have to be denominational. Maybe you've been hurt by a church. Maybe you grew up being really put down by the mob rule of a particular church. And maybe you do believe in, in God still, but you don't subscribe to religion anymore. Man-made God, you know, man-made religion. I feel you. I've been there. And that's why I have my own ministry and my own church, because I realized so many things were just open to interpretation. So many things were being taken out of context. So many non-biblical rituals were being done. That just did not make sense to me anymore. And so I, I chose to make, you know, the bold decision to follow my purpose, to step into my purpose and dive into the deep end at first. I help people do this every single day. Maybe you live in Canada or Mexico or Puerto Rico or any country of the United States. I've helped people from all of those places. Actually, maybe not Mexico. I don't think I've helped someone from Mexico yet. I think someone from our group has. But anyways, <laughs> I help people from all the different states start their own private ministries, their own private churches, their own private member associations so they can fulfill their purpose. You can either email me at livingwithfreedom at protonmail.com if you have an inquiry um, and have some questions about what this looks like, you want more information. Um, you can also access my intro video as well as my 25-minute webinar on PMAs. And to do that, you can visit go.livingwithfreedom.org backslash PMA. I'll repeat that, go.livingwithfreedom.org backslash PMA. Um, through that, you can also get access to my calendar to, to have a consultation. I always do free consultations because I want people to have access to this information. I also have free webinars, and that's the link that I sent you to is to access those free that free content. Because I don't want you to feel like you have to pay to access yet another thing. This information should be free. So I want to make sure that you have that access. Um, 
We're going to look at the calendar for next week, and I'm going to make sure that I have everything squared away for so I can tell you what we're doing next week. All right, let's see. September 26th. So we will also be going a bit more over the first Continental Congress. Um, I don't recall offhand, I don't have it in this week's notes, what the holiday next week is. Uh, But for sure, we'll be going a little bit more in depth into what the Founding Fathers and Framers were talking about and discussing and deciding, um, you know, what resolutions they were making at the First Continental Congress. Um, Because if you recall, people had mixed emotions when they were going to this first Continental Congress, the delegates that that were attending, some of them truly did go with the full intention and understanding that they would be trying to restore the mutual peace between the King of Great Britain and the colonies. They wanted peace. They did not want war. There were Quakers that were vehemently against war. They were even against the Declaration of Independence because they knew it would lead to war. But there were also patriots who saw the writing on the wall and knew what was at stake and what needed to be done. So, with that being said, we are going to do our final wrap-up. Um If you're tuning in late, where did I put my notebook? There it is. (laughs) If you tuned in late, um, just a quick wrap-up. My name is Amber S. This is the Living with Freedom show on Freedomizer Radio. And on the Living with Freedom show, I bring to you a vision of what living a life of freedom can look like physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and in every aspect of life. And... This show is brought to you by Living with Freedom Ministries, an unincorporated private church ministry where I help people discover and fulfill their God-given purpose, specifically through the creation of their own private ministry. This show is every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central, noon Pacific time. It's a 90-minute show. We do three segments. The first segment, we usually introduce a holiday of the day as well as a word of the day. And then the other two segments, we break up into the topic, and sometimes we have guests on the show. I have not um, assigned and um, scheduled any guests for next week, but we will see because sometimes, um, you know, sometimes random things happen and we make adjustments. (laughs) So without further ado, we will wrap this up. I'm going to play our outro and I hope you guys have a beautiful week. Maybe. There we go. All right. Talk to you guys next week.
Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.